my previous call. Can everybody hear me okay? Yep, you're good. All right, wonderful. Let me um, let me just catch up to my my notes here. Um, and let me apologize in advance if uh, if I don't have everything covered, but I, I would, whether I feel completely prepared or not, I'd like to at least touch base once a week through voice just to uh, catch up on everything and um, give us all a chance to communicate more directly in case we're missing stuff in the chat, especially this week. It, the, uh, the general chat has moved <laughs> quite quickly, plus we added, what, four more channels? So that's... Uh, it's a good thing, though. It means that we're we're making some progress. Um, so let me. Uh, I'm wondering if I want to start with. I'm I'm actually going to turn around. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you guys, so everybody has a chance to update me with anything they they feel as though I need to know or or may have missed this past week because it's been a, a bit. A bit hectic and busy, so um, let's work our way down the line. And um, if you want to speak, uh, that's fine. Uh, if not, we'll move to the next person. We'll start with uh, five zero seven. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to share, ask, mention to start? Uh, you're muted, and you may might may not be able to talk. No questions. Okay, Alex. Any, uh, anything? All right. I haven't updated the stats yet. Cujo? <clears throat> yeah, a um, couple of things we uh, caught up on. Well, we wrote the safety guidelines, uh, the first draft of the safety guidelines. Um, so in writing them, uh, I tried to be original, um, but at the same time hit all the major points from uh, the FAA and uh, did pull a smidge from um, some of the AMA guidelines, but I think some of them are also uh, more unique to just us and kind of inclusive to some of that. So I know Squishy just posted um, uh, a doc or something, but uh, let me go ahead and post them in general real quick. And I'm sorry if I sound a little weird. Uh, I just got sick yesterday, so. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Let's see. There we go. So um, my biggest point was I wanted to keep it simple. Um, so 10 total rules, um, less than 500 words altogether. Um, and uh, there hasn't been a ton of debate on them. I, I mean, we did talk about uh, rule number 10, um, distance from people. Um, that was the, honestly, that was the biggest uh, thing anybody had issue with. And honestly, at first it was just like, you know, it was very vague. It was like flying over or near people. And uh, I think me and Squishy and a couple other of the guys uh ultimately decided that we'd start at 100 feet um, because we all know how far a, a quad is going to go, um, especially at speed when it's bouncing across the ground. Uh, 
All right. So, yeah, very good. Um, that's that's actually um, and and we can uh, we'll loop back around on maybe some of the more specifics here. But yeah, I've got some uh, some input and questions as well. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll come back to it. I just wanted to quickly go through everyone and just see if uh, people want to bring up topics like this to make sure that we cover. So, okay, so anything else uh, at this time? Nope, I'm good. All right, Scarecrow, you got any input, feedback? Uh, good morning, Oops. guys. Good morning. Uh, no, I'm just, uh, I'm really happy with the way things are taking shape. I think everything looks great. Uh, like you said, it was a pretty uh, rowdy week in the chat, and uh, it seems like uh, a lot of things are getting done. So just, you know, don't be afraid if you see something that I could be doing uh, to to let me know. Um, you know, everything's just kind of beginning to, to kind of fall into place, I think. And as it, mm -hmm. as it grows and as these things take shape, you know, a lot of our roles will become a little more clear. Um, I'm beginning to see where I may uh, fit in, you know, to the mix in the future. That's really, uh, that's really it. I think everything Kujo and Alex are doing is is just looking awesome. I'm, I'm, it's super exciting. Yes, I would definitely agree. I think um, I'm I, I'm a bit surprised, pleasantly surprised, and um, very pleased that we're, we're it's shaping up like it is. I really would have never imagined that this group of random people could come together and, and start to be productive so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So. It looks great. All right. Um, squishy. Are you online? Do you have a, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. All right, cool. Um, so you guys saw the three channels we set up the structure that, um, I kind of had in mind. I wanted to explain it briefly just so that like you guys understand why that would be great. Those three. <laughs> um, I have it in my notes. Um, I was trying to come up with a way to like include separation of duties built into the structure. Cause Chad kind of asked me to help with the structure. That was the only thing that I could really see at this point in time is that we need to have a separation between those who possibly take in funds or donors uh, and whatever the source of funding may be and whoever handles it needs to be separate than the people who actually analyze the problem for FPV lobbying and education and apply those funds. So in that way, we kind of build in an integrity where we don't have vendors. There's a million scenarios that it basically just inherently avoids. Um, if you guys can basically throw scenarios at the structure itself and in the future, you know, kind of, uh, think into the future, what kind of scenarios may we face and then how can the structure just basically filter and deal with that? So there is no debate. And, um, I think this is basically a good starting point. There needs to be official governing, um, committees, eventually people that make decisions. We're all sort of making decisions or Chad, uh, is kind of the tiebreaker at this point. So these um, are kind of like a prototype, like a working group that maybe someday could form into the committees um, and develop their own little like structure within each one and their own way of doing things. Each one probably should have a description and a mission and you know a narrower scope of what they do so that they can focus on it. Um, the three that we came up with was the education and lobbying, pretty much the, the, the first one is like 
the people who look at outward at the problem and, and then apply our resources to the problem. The middle guys are like the lawyers and the finance and reporting. I, I, I assume there's going to have to be some sort of an accountant to pay the bills eventually and to keep the books and to, and to create the reports. So that's where they would live. And then also the, um, the third one is the, uh, Oh, where I get lost here is the safety committee that's developing the safety guidelines. Um, the safety guidelines, something to keep in mind is not something that we just create. Um, and then it's there forever. It's something that we have to review. Um, I don't know how often we want to review it, but it's something that needs to be maintained. Um, so that's something to think about that committee may not get a lot of use, like, you know, five, 10 years from now or whatever, but it still needs to sort of exist so that it can re uh, evaluate uh, the existing guidelines. But that's the idea on the structure. If you guys have any questions or ideas on that. Um, I would just like to say um, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Sean, because this, you have brought so much to all of this that um I really can't imagine would have gotten done by this point. So thank you. Um, and I, I feel like it's it's going to be instrumental in, in making us very effective. Um, and, and for anyone that thinks this might be moving slowly, I want to say it, I think it's moving rather quickly considering it, it was just kind of an off the cuff movement to, to kick this off. Um, and we, we've got a great foundation started. Um, so, and, and a huge part of that is because of, of Sean slash Squishy's um, initiative and, and moving forward on so many things here. So thank you very much. Um, now, that being said, I would, I would like to break something out. Right now we have education and public affairs. I'd like to separate that so it's education and then a separate one for public relations, which is essentially is marketing. Um, and marketing public relations all of that can be um anything that is content that is generated whether it's like um or i should say public facing content um so you know the website um any kind of uh promotional materials for education um or safety or actually any of the other areas um any kind of you know public announcements um what do you guys think of that? Basically like a PR department, you're saying? Yes. No, it's totally needed. And it, in my, in, in my structure, like existing, you know, layup, it's just nested in there, but yeah, it's totally there. So you're just, yeah, I'd like to have it a separate one. Yeah. I'd like to have it a separate, just so it can have a strong focus. One, that's my background. That's my, my one. Uh, strength is is marketing and, and branding and i think that's what's gonna um be a, a a powerful piece for us because that's more of a proactive movement i don't i don't want pr and you know any kind of public statements to just be reactionary i'd love it to be proactive and going out making statements and and you know fighting ahead for our freedoms not waiting for something to be taken away and then trying to find a way to defend it because you've already lost ground if that's what you're doing. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Um, I think that the original thought behind blending them was that education and public affairs, both, you know, for our pilots as well as the general public, I, I figured that, um, 
education was a huge part of that, but I didn't really put into that there was going to be so many other, um, I guess, committees or groups that would uh, utilize that public affairs. So if we need to separate it out, I'm totally with that. Yeah, because I see PR is working across the board. So, you know, whether it's communicating, it could even communicate financial information um, because being a nonprofit, all the financials are going to be public. Um, so I, I think it's important to make sure that all areas have some kind of uh, presentation filter because if people get information without being educated on how to digest that information, it can be horribly mistaken. So. Um, so that brings up something um, we would put branding under this, right? Yes, I think that would go under that public relations branding. All of that would fit in kind of a public relations marketing branding. All right, got it. So that I, I do have that on my list of things to bring up today is simply that we need to do that uh, pretty quickly is get branding started. I mean, if you're going to start hanging out the shingle and and advertising the group, you'll need that done. Absolutely. That was one of my big thoughts this week, too. Okay, great. Well, does, has everybody seen the logo that um, I put a little bit of time into before even starting this Discord? But uh, um, I like it because it's not too extravagant. You know, I, I intentionally wanted it to be very simple, but still means something. Um, and hold on, I'll post it in the in the general chat so everybody can look at it here hey chad i had a um, oh sorry thing about your group splitting up with the public relations and the education for the we also combined two other uh initial ideas the financial management and the fundraising committee um mm -hmm. are those two worth uh thinking about breaking up as well or do they still make sense together well the the fundraising uh I guess like any structure and relationship would be under financial, but promotion of it would fall under, you know, the, the marketing public relations um, column, I would say. So we could pull fundraising out and put it into, into public relations. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I'm just taking notes here and changing my stuff up as we go. Hey, uh, Chad, I, this is Troy, by the way. I just I had a quick kind of catch me up question. Um, I just I, yes, I wanted sir. to ask. Um, Welcome, Troy. <laughs> thanks. Um, I have been following, by the way, every all the hard work of everybody in this group and everybody else that's not on the call right now. So I just want to say thank you um, from my perspective as just a pilot and a community member. Um, everything you guys have been doing is amazing. Um, I've purposely been watching from the sideline because I haven't known where to jump in and where I could be used. Um, but I wanted to throw out or ask a question and find out if this has already been approached and if not, or if so, like how I could help. Um, Chad, um, where, where do we stand? I heard you guys talking about wanting to be visible and getting some, you know, the logo out there, getting the advertising out or not the advertising, the brand out there. Um, I, I would really love to partner and work with other companies within the industry. I'm sure this has already come up. I just don't know, again, because I've been on the sideline um, kind of watching and not catching everything. Um, do we have any plans to, like, you know, work with other companies with their newsletters and their things and ask them, hey, do you want to be a part of this? And how do, you, how do they support what we're trying to do here with the coalition? So 
Um, I was just wondering because, you know, with Flynosaurus, you know, you know what we were trying to do with the Rotorite Skull Edition. I'd love to do similar things with our newsletters. Um, and I'd also, I'm on tap to ask any other companies we work with or go out there with a list of cold calls to make and say, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, we really need your support. So I just wanted to ask where we're at with that and if that's something that we've already talked about. We totally need somebody to jump in and start doing exactly that. At least like, like at least documenting like an, like an initial list of like who we may want to approach, but I don't think we're ready to like approach anybody. Yeah. I, I didn't think you'd be ready yet to approach because I think there's some, some things that need to be worked out. Like what does supporting the coalition mean? You know what exactly. I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, Troy, let me speak to that really quickly. Um, so what I would prefer is because you just said like what we, we need from them or, or <sighs> ideally I want the culture of the FPV Freedom Coalition is how does the coalition help them? We're here to serve the community. Yep. So we, we need to make sure that everybody we approach, <laughs> I hate to say it and it, it sounds dirty, but their, their best way to help us is to help fund it. Um, but before yeah. we can even ask for that, we need to be clear on how we help them because there's nothing more I cannot stand is any entity put together asking for money without a clear offering. Yep. So we need to develop what is our clear offering to them. And then it'll be, you know, it'll be really easy to understand for anyone that we're asking to help support. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I, you know, I, I hope that you know that in, in everything I've ever tried to do with and you know, you know what I've worked with you guys, um, I always try to do that is what can we do for you guys? We want to do for you first because without you guys, there's no us. So absolutely. Right. No, cool. no. And I get that. I just, I, for the sake of everyone listening, I yeah. want them to know <laughs> where, I, where I stand. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for answering. I'll sit back on the sideline and listen some more. Good work, guys. <clears throat> so it looks like Final Glide chimed in on our general chat. Um, I don't know if he's going to be joining the voice chat. Um, so <laughs> Alex and Scarecrow are advising him. So, um, okay, no, this is good. I think honestly, if we can just cover the uh, kind of the four basic sections today, uh, fairly briefly, because I've I've got another call at eleven. Um, but we'll just work down the line here and we can um, kind of get an update of where we are and uh, where we need to go. Um, I'd like to start with legal because that's the, that's kind of the, the, the hinging point of a lot of this, because until we become an official entity, um, we need to be able to get, uh, you know, our, our legal structure in place. Um, and I, I do have, uh, uh, some feelers out for uh, my current corporate attorney, and I'm trying to see if he can get his firm on board with helping us out. And 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 to make it clear, uh, I I'm not asking them or any attorney to work pro bono forever. But we can't get the money till we have a structure. We can't have a structure till we get it paid for somehow. So so I'm trying to juggle that right now so we can get the ball rolling. But once we have an entity in place, we can quickly start putting the, the committees together, get the board together, and, and things will move pretty quickly after that, I feel like. Hey, Chad, I'm going to send you an email to James Mackler, where I'm going to introduce okay. you. Um, he's okay. a drone lawyer I've dealt with in the past. Um, he's out of Tennessee, and he helped form some, some councils there in Tennessee around drones. 
So mm -hmm. he might be a really good resource. So I'll introduce you via email. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Um, okay. So as far as legal, are there any other, um, any other questions, comments, concerns on that? Good. All right. Um, so, you know what, uh, Sean, on you, I think you're instructing upper right on my computer. It's the, the left <laughs> is where the voice channels are. So he's just, yeah, he's on his phone. It looks like he took a screenshot. Oh, okay. I guess. It's oh, it's up there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little different. I think Alex. Okay. Okay, and then, uh, so let's move on to financial. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot to cover there, but uh, I posted earlier in the week, or it was a couple days ago or yesterday, the Tony Hawk Foundation has a really great layout on their site where you can see every financial statement that they have, and, and it shows pretty much how they're using their money, what they're reporting. Um, I thought that was a good learning piece. Um, has, did anybody have a chance to look through that or dig through it at all? I look, <clears throat> sorry, I looked through it a little. Um, didn't have a lot of time yesterday, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something we need to be able to do. Um, and uh, just for from a transparency standpoint, um, and uh, I mean, obviously with a nonprofit, that's going to be essential as well. Um, but I didn't get to dig into it very deeply, but yeah. Well, here and I will, let me, um, I'm gonna post that link here just so whoever's on the call can take a look at it. If you wanna bookmark that link, I think it's that's a good thing to look through. One thing that I was a little surprised by was it's the Tony Hawk Foundation. And it's, it looks like they're averaging about $2 million a year that they're working off of. And I thought it would have been quite a bit more, frankly. But to see the impact that they have for for two million and um, that's it's it's pretty good. It's a it's a beautiful layout. I love the way it's everything is like very clearly uh, set out so that you you know you could read through it and know exa pretty much exactly where all the money is coming from and where it's going. Right. One question that popped up, and I don't know where it popped up, but the uh, regarding financial stuff is people were already asking pilots within the FPV community were already asking if we're going to be membership based and have you know like fee based memberships, or if we. That's a to. really good point. I, I personally, um, I like I always like and and, and forgive me I've never worked <laughs> in this capacity for nonprofit. Um, so all of my thinking comes from the business world, but but I still, even in the business world, I don't I don't like to um, again um, take again, any money. Take any money. Oops, somebody needs to mute. I'm hearing myself. <laughs> um, so I don't like to take any money without understanding how it's being applied back into whatever it is that we're doing. Um, so if we took money as a membership. Um, there would have to be a clear offering for that. So I guess how I would see it is if maybe down the road, if there were additional services or, you know, if there were like insurance or something like that, um, I, I could see that, you know, like the AMA, they, you pay a, a fee and they're 
primary two things they give you is uh, insurance and a magazine. Um, if, if we structured like that down the road, I, I don't know. Um, but I guess immediately, I, I don't know. I would love for it to be something where we get more of a commitment. Like if you're signing on, you're agreeing to these guidelines. Um, so that essentially is the payment of, of joining as a pilot. You have to answer the question, what, what is this organization for, 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 for saying, join us? It, Chad, I, I only heard what this organization had cut out. Um, you have to uh, be able to answer the question, what does this organization um, offer the person before you can start asking them to join? Yes, that's that's what we covered earlier. I think it was before you join yeah. um, on the on the call. Yes, that's one thing I, I want to make very clear is if we ever ask anything of anyone, we have to be very clear about what we're offering. Yeah. I think from my point of view, that's the biggest question that I have is what is this organization offering that, for example, the AMA is not already offering plus more? Well, the, the very first answer to that is a clear and concise focus on FPV pilot freedoms, not just general RC. Um, okay. Which are not one and the same. They, yep. they, they function differently. Um, so I, I'd just like to add that, I mean, I agree. I kind of understand. I, I agree exactly. I think we all agree that there has to be an answer to that question. Um, I just wanted to throw my opinion out there as far as I do believe that a nominal fee, no matter what the fee is, even if it were one to five dollars, um, brings into a, a level of accountability and a, and a level of want and desire. So if you do something for free and offer anybody and everybody access, you get watered down by a lot of statistical numbers that may not be relevant. So, you know, we as much as we probably want to show how big our community is, we also want to show how big and impactful the working community is. So just, no, just that, my opinion. That's a good point. I mean, if you give stuff away for free, then people don't value it. Um, so I, I get the premise of that. I, I would say then, you know, at the very least, you get a, you know, a pin or something that, you know, you get something for that. It, it, it's more, um, and I agree, it's not like we're, we're selling a product. It's, it's essentially, it's a commitment. You're saying here's an exchange of, of dollars for, you know, something and it officiates it. Is that what you're saying, Troy? Yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. Just the idea that, um, I mean, if it's free, it's just easy access. I mean, for lots of, I mean, there's lots of things I could point out like what is all across the board, but like, you know, infiltrated by people that just want to know what we're doing and not actually good down for the cause. Like there's just all kinds of reasons that it's just easy access always just means more people and you can't drill down to their reasoning for being, being there as specifically as if you have a membership form that they have to fill out and at least contribute you know what i mean like maybe it's just a yeah. donation maybe it's a it's a hey you don't have to give anything but go ahead and contribute at least then you can pull data that says hey of all of the members 50 percent donated a dollar or more well then you could probably draw some more conclusions based off of that data um as opposed to you know hey our membership is five hundred thousand, but only 20,000 actually donated to the cause, you know? No, that a makes a lot number. of sense. And yeah, because so nobody's really going to pay to troll. So what you're saying uh, is I don't a know, troll dude. donation, like a fee just to prove that 
you know, you're serious or you're a member, but also it kind of gives us a, like statistics. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and even KYC stuff, right? Like just making sure that we're actually dealing with real people. I mean, and not bots and not, you know, I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. No, I think, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, there, okay. I anything have on else? My list oh. as a document for one of the groups to handle is actually maintaining the roster or the membership, you know, list or whatnot. Yeah. Right now we're really small and, you know, just a handful of people participating, but as it grows, it's going, there's going to be a number of issues and problems that, you know, present themselves. So, um, we are going to have to get that under control as, as it grows. Um, hey, I noticed everybody. a few, few more people joined. We have Mary, we have Stinger Storm, Zoe, Chad. Mary, can you hear us? Yeah. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Hi, so, everybody. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know at what point you came in, but we were uh, just going down the line to, to simplify it and shorten it for you. We, um, we're talking about the uh, legal structure. Uh, then we moved into financial, and then we're going to cover safety guidelines and public relations. Okay. Um, and these coincide with the different uh, committee segments that we're going to be creating, um, which one of the, the things we talked about um, briefly was separating. Right now, it's education and public affairs. We're going to separate that into public relations and education and keep those separate. Um, so. Um, so yeah, is there anything, because a few people, a number of people, looks like Risco, Ryfly, I think a lot of people joined later. So um, a couple things. One, if you've missed some stuff, you could probably recap on the, um, uh, the, the audio video recording that 507 has been doing. Um, otherwise, if you have any quick questions about what we've covered, I can catch you up real quick. We're going to start talking about the safety guidelines at this point. Uh, if you're, you're done with financial, was, uh, okay. was there anything else with financial? All right. Looks like we're moving on to safety guys. Hey, Sean, were you going to say something? Uh, I just wanted to say I have roster under financial. I don't know if that belongs there or not, but if you guys have a better spot for it. I think ultimately we are going to need, um, a membership kind of group that deals with any issues that arise between members or, um, you know, uh, people who are helping um, beyond just keeping rosters, um, sort of like a, a, yeah, and, and almost like a pseudo uh, outreach and um, like member outreach kind of committee. Well, the outreach, I think, again, would fall under like public relations or marketing, something like that. But I do agree. You're talking about like a member management. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know what that would be, but that's a really good point. So I'll just put a question mark here under member management. It's usually called like um, even like EA games and stuff, dude, they, they hire a dude for this. They call it uh, community management or whatever. It's like, it used to be, I guess nowadays it's called the social media guy. Right. But yeah. it used to be like a community manager. You go to the forums and get feedback and all that kind of stuff. But we mm -hmm. need somebody like that, I guess, to manage all the members, the roster, the, yeah, the internal stuff versus fundraising would be the external version of it. No, that's yeah, that's very well put. 
Okay. Um, anyone else? Well, small idea. Um, I just use this the other <clears throat> as an example, but what you were saying for, I just use Patreon as an example because the having all of the interested people and an email list and an address list all in one spot might be handy. And, um, and I was thinking about what you just said, like you could, you could say like, Hey, it's $5, but then you can give them $5 worth of something right back so that you break even. But at least you know that they're actually serious if they take the two minutes to sign up and then you would have, um, you know, your, your mailing list, you know, for, uh, like calls to action and, uh, any pertinent information, you would have a list all in one spot uh, to get to everybody. Just, just the no, I, I agree with that. I think that echoes uh, kind of what Troy was saying as well. Um, it's just an easy system that a lot of people don't use, but you know, there are other ways to do that. Right. You know, before okay. moving on to, to something else, I think we kind of gloss over the, the logo, Chad. Um, oh, I don't yeah. know if yeah. we're going to talk about uh, swag or, or, or something like that to, to raise some money. Um, it was a thought I had if we wanted to, you know, create T-shirts or, or pins or, or whatnot so that we could add some value to some of that. And absolutely. Um, I think uh, so right now, any of that, that branding is kind of falling on my shoulders. Um, and with my schedule lately, it's been definitely really tight and I leave for Puerto Rico tomorrow. So I'll be um, even more limited on, on time for the next week or so. Um, I will be checking in each day, but uh, it's just gonna be brief and mostly I'll be um, just reading the catch up. But uh, if there's anything I need to respond to, I will uh, just letting you guys know I'll, I'll have limited availability. I did get James. James Curtis did say that he was interested in helping out. So um, if you can connect with him and let you know, let him know what you want in regards to branding. He's like one of the best artists I've seen around. He works for Adobe, so it's he, right. he can read this stuff. It's just hard to get him to do it. And he actually like said for this, like, oh, I'll do that. Okay. Well, uh, how how do I best contact him? Did you send me contact info, Sean? Yeah. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Okay. Thank you. Hey, also, I know Sean's been working with Chris, Christopher Bowletter, too, and he's another one. I, I don't know if he knows of this Discord and stuff, so I'm going to add him to it or get him on it. Um, but, Chad, I know you've talked to him a little bit in the in the public space, but he works on campaigns. Like, he literally works for, you know, politicians um, on websites and on running these types of nonprofit um, types of deals. And he's also a brand specialist as well. Um, so, anyway. Wait, try who, who was, I'm sorry, what was his name? Christopher Bowletter, um, Chris BFPV, or you, you know him because we worked with him with the Pretty Fly stuff. I used to work for him. Um, oh, you guys yes, talk, yes, yes. You guys, I know you guys yeah. had a little bit of a public conversation, but I would implore you. I know Sean works with him. Um, aren't you, Sean, working with him a little bit on, on some of this too? Who is that? Uh, Christopher Bowletter, the What is FPV? Uh, it doesn't ring a bell, but I have a uh, Anyways, I'll, I'll talk to you about it later. But I'll send you a connection to him, too, uh, officially via email, just so you have his information. Yeah, I, I, know, I, I recall what you're talking about now, Troy. Sorry about that. Um, okay, anything else um, brand-wise? 
Hey, Chad. Yes. Um, just real quick, the the one thing I've noticed is that from from what you guys are talking about, the models have already been used, like um, other advocacy groups like the NRA and everything. For for financial, you can just set it up so that everyone gets a membership, but then just based on a certain dollar amount, they get something like dirt. Um, you know, and that that way you guys don't go negative by giving everyone something too. I'm just saying that those kinds of used before, so it would be real easy to do that way. You know, if someone only wanted to contribute a dollar or two, they could do that. They just wouldn't reach a dollar amount where they would physically get something, but then everybody would be included in like a newsletter. Okay, no, that's that's a good point. Um, would you mind um, maybe going to those those different ag advocacy groups um, and giving us kind of a matrix of here's how they do it. And we can maybe see three or four comparables. Sure. That would, that would be very helpful if you could do that. No problem. Thank you. Um, okay. Anything else? We've kind of blended financial and, and I think, marketing, branding. Um, so I guess anything in those, either of those topics. Well, they kind of run parallel. Right. Okay. So let's move to uh, safety guidelines. <laughs> I anticipate <laughs> this probably taking up the rest of the time. Um, and just to be clear, I, I don't think on this particular meeting, this call, we have the time to go through it you know, comprehensively, but I would just like to kind of touch on the approach. Um, and maybe I'll start with the note that I, I alluded to earlier. Um, and the very first one in our rough draft, who owns that document, by the way? I own it, the uh, Google Doc? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I own it and it's set to an uh, editable, uh, shareable link. I can change that if we need to. Okay. No, it's fine. I was just curious. Um, so thank you for, uh, I, Sean, was that, uh, how was this document created? Was it just uh, a compilation of what was going on in the chat? No, um, there was, there was some talk about some of the safety stuff, but we ultimately decided let's just, let's just pound something out. Let's, let's get something on paper so that people have something to discuss. Okay, so it was a collaboration between um, a few of you guys that are shared with, that it's shared with? Um, I don't know how many people adjusted the document. I know I created a section at the bottom of it for proposed changes, but most of it was written. I mean, most of it came from me, so. Okay. Um, okay, so on the, uh, the, the first point here, um, the observe and obey federal, state, and local laws and regulations uh, regarding UAS, um, that absolutely makes 100% sense. However, it's also the biggest problem because there's so many variances between states and local laws, and people are confusing mandates and suggestions and guidelines as laws. Um, that, that number one is going to be our biggest challenge out of all of this, because, uh, one, things are changing all the time Two, people don't understand how to interpret a lot of this. Um, and a case in point 
is uh, my conversation with our local FAA rep. Um, you know, he was talking about 400 feet and line of sight and what this means. And this comes from an amalgamation of our only community-based organization, which is AMA and actual FAA regulations. So there isn't a clear answer there. Like how high are you allowed to fly? We're allowed to fly 400 feet because the AMA says it. And because they are the, the CBO, that's the FAA literature says to abide by that. Now, if there's another CBO representing FPV pilots, we have the ability to change that. A lot of people don't realize that. So Correct. does that make sense to everyone? Absolutely. In fact, um, one of the things that I was actually parsing through the AMA guidelines and the only height restriction that they list is if you're in within five miles of an airport, you can't fly above 400 feet. They don't give a limit otherwise. So if you're outside that five mile radius, they don't give a limit. But um, absolutely agree that if we create our own CBO, and that's what some of this was kind of based around, that uh, we have the autonomy to change some of that. Right. Now, that, that, you know, that seems that, that seems to be the area that I, I, I'm a little bit confused on what you guys are working on and what it seems to be working on. I mean, guidelines are great, but uh, honestly, a lot of people, are, you're looking at, I don't give a damn about your guidelines. I don't give a damn about AMA's guidelines. I look for the FAA, and the fight to me seems to be working on FAA's guidelines and ensuring the FAA's guidelines, or sorry, not guidelines, regulations, uh, are national-based, not state-based, because FAA is not state-based. FAA is national-based. And I know you guys are all different states and that sort of stuff, but the FAA is the one that needs to get its shit together, get their regulations sorted on a national base so that they overpower everything and then you need to work with the FAA to get regulations that actually work because right now I see another shit fest which you guys have just talked about. Where you know what? You don't I know agree with you 100% and I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, uh, and like you guys can write up all the guidelines you, you want I don't, as a pilot, I don't give a crap. Uh, like, who are you? Like, I don't, I don't talk to you. I talk mm -hmm. to the FAA. That's the direction that you need to go. And unless you go that way, I see a lot of wasting time and chasing tails because the FAA don't care. Well, it's, it's because there, there's going to have to be a progressive movement towards it. It can't be all at once. It's not like we're going to get the FAA to change tomorrow. So in the interim, something has to take precedent. And right now, the only option we have is one option, AMA. Well, that's why I cool. write so, the regulations. Why is that everything that I see that you guys are basically saying, screw the AMA, we're going our own direction? If you're saying no, you're because you AMA. never, you never heard any of us say that. Well, uh, they say uh, it all the time in the chat. Yeah, yeah, you're, you, <clears throat> you may not believe it, but your actions are completely uh, opposite of what you're saying to me now. Like, we're going to go our own way. We're going to be our own buddy. The AMA is not listening to us. We're going to go our own way. Where, well, let, you know, me, let guys, me see it. The, the, the AMA only. Well, let me say it so I can be very clear. The AMA has been very helpful. There's a lot of benefits. I've, ab I've absolutely endorsed that. Um, however, 
I, and I'll say this now and I'll say it publicly. However, the AMA, their primary interest is line of sight pilots. That's what it always has been. That's what it currently is. FPV is a tack on. We are an add on to that organization. And I believe to be best represented, we need a primary voice. And that's what this is. So well, it I, I agree with that people. theory, but I don't think we should be proposing regulations. I, because that's, yeah. we, we should not, why, then the FAA is going to look at us and say, oh, the FPV community is cool with restrictions. Let's, let's add some on. I mean, we should just deal with the existing ones. If they're reasonable, we support them. If they're not reasonable, we object to them, uh, but to, I, I, yeah, to add on things that have no legal effect, I just don't understand it. And as far as the FAA and its national effect, let me make an analogy here with, with guns because uh, the drones are so new, but we all, we all, so let's say right now there is no federal law that says we have to register guns. We have to go through the federal ATF to get them, but then states add on extras. Like this state wants a, wants a gun registry. This state has a magazine limitation. So states can always add on more restrictions, but they can't unrestrict what the FAA does. So the, the FAA will have some kind of national blanket thing, and whether states and localities want to expand upon that, they, they can. They're not preempted from that. However, I have seen some people say that FAA should have 100% preemption of any state and local law. And whether or not that's going to come to fruition, I don't know. But like this stuff in here about the 100 feet, I mean, even though I think that's common sense and I wouldn't want to fly, you know, 100 feet over somebody, I don't know that we should be offering restrictions. We should just be focusing on what are they proposing, what's already proposed. And then either say we agree or don't agree, and let the rulemaking ideas come from them. I think the the original Wait, goal, no, Mary, um, come from who? Real quick, just for clarification. Well, come from the FA, come from the legislature, come from local government. If they propose something, then we can say we we agree, we don't agree for these reasons. But but, that's but why should I'm... we say, hey, well, we should only they should have a law saying. Um, you can't fly within a hundred feet of a road. I mean, that's not really our place to come up with. Well, that's but that's what the that's how the FAA is currently that, functioning. They that is also how a lot have, of industries function. Um, yeah, they don't have the infrastructure to focus that kind of time on us and say, okay, figure out what's right for them. You know, in, in my conversation with our rep, that's exactly what he was saying. He's like, we trust you if if you're recognized as an entity then we trust you to develop those and i'm saying yeah sure it's great to do it in the future and say let's get faa to do it but that's this is how they're working with everyone so we yeah. can't change their infrastructure we have to work within it currently but go we, ahead we, Kevin. What you we, say? we have basically two choices we can do what we've been doing which is wait for the faa to come and tell us what we can or can't do or we can 
do what we're trying to do here, which is establish safety guidelines and go to the FAA and be like, look, this is how we propose that we safely integrate with the rest of your aviation infrastructure. Can we please implement that? And that's going to, in, instead of them defining what we get to do, that gives us the ability for us to define at least what we want to do. Exactly. That's my, because that's, if, that's my whole problem, though. I, I look at the FAA, and, and if, if we go the way that we are, go to the FAA, they're going to go, who the hell are you? We're going to continue doing what we're doing. No, they're not, so actually. That's, that's they not are. true. We've, we've had direct <laughs> conversations with them. They are very open to play. They are very supportive of the hobby. Okay, I, I cool. A... Sh sh show me the actions of, of, of their words. These people are really good at words. Their actions are usually very different. Um, I'm I'm not sure what you're seeing that's different. Yeah. Well, what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing uh, is the history of of drones and FPV being regulated <clears throat> more and more. When none of the statistics prove that they need to be regulated, when in fact they should be regulated less. But they've you've but got people tell me. Tell You've got people telling, what's telling been regulated. you that. Have a look at the regulations. Yeah. No, I mean, I, mean, you're, well, you're I, I don't think we're going to undo anything. Yeah, we're not going to undo anything at this point. We're just trying to prevent, stop the bleeding, I think. So, well, see, I, that, I, that's I the whole reason why I joined this group, as a group to actually go and fight for me for unjust rules and unjust regulations to allow me to continue flying in a safe manner of which I have the entire time and the statistics have, have, have done that. And a lot of other pilots uh, are in the same boat. And so if, they, if you expect them to join an organization which is just going to go the FAA route and regulate more and put more guidelines and make it more com complicated, then you're going to get uh, a lot less people on board with you than you actually think. Well, just let me tell you how, how it is here to fight. Let's say there's an FAA regulation we don't want and we want it. We want it gone. So agency, how agency law works here is they have the least amount of burden of proof to keep a rule. So it, let's say you have a criminal case. You have to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the hardest burden of proof. Civil cases, you have to prove more than 50% this person is liable or not. With agency and rules, it's called arbitrary and capricious. And as long as they think a rule is not arbitrary, they keep it as far as the courts are concerned. And it is so hard to take a rule and set and prove that it's arbitrary and capricious. It's the, because their we, standard we've, is we've, so we've, low. We've already got statistics, which you guys are, which you guys are getting proving that a lot of this is arbitrary. So well, that, that, well, that's, all, that's all the proof you need. There no, is, there is, okay. so, but, to, but to overturn it, so I mean, somebody's the, the going to have to file only, a lawsuit. But the the only the, reason why the FAA exists is for safety. Uh, and the way that you determine sa safety is on statistics and proven history. Uh, and some we've got all is, the proof on our some side. Of it is subjective risk risk mitigation. It's literally well, looking at scenarios. It's proven by statistics in, in history. All right. Hey, guys. Chad, there's been some major cases lately that have gone the other way and said, even in July, major cases, and they just give the FAA full yeah, reign. The, 
It's the, the very hard of, to overturn them. The, 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 it's not a 100% or 0% case in any kind of safety. There, there are incidents and accidents uh, in every uh, regulation that's involved. It's, it's how often it happens that um that is the case i mean shit if if we did if we did a case study on aviation we'd find we'd find some people go up there and fucking die you shouldn't fly at all if that if that's the way if the way that they they're regulating drones um was done on full-size aviation we'd never fucking take off uh the reality the reality i see what you're saying and i agree with you in theory but to ask this group to file a lawsuit over x y and z rules and try to overturn them and say that they are arbitrary and capricious we're not we're not proposing money to overturn that, any rules though we're we're i know i think that that's not really but that seems but, to be what you what, want what i'm seeing what i'm seeing at this group is like you're you're organizing a group that i'm seeing has no change to me like it's not helping me okay well, chad not- listen listen hey Everybody listen real quick. I'm going to recap. This is how it works. The FAA relies on the CBO, which is a community-based organization, to provide guidelines of safe behavior for whatever that hobby or, or extracurricular activity or, or whatever that is. And in this case, we're talking FPV. And since there isn't a specific FPV CBO, the first order of business is getting recognized as that to help create the guidelines we feel is safe, so there's an option. So that's it. Like we're not, Chad. You're jumping way down the path, and I, I can't, you know, promise all of that's going to happen. But I can say that what we can do right now is start to organize that, and we can bring educational materials that help people understand what the current state of things are. That is something that we can do right now. If you're on board with I, that. Then but I'm, 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 I'm seeing regulations that you guys are typing out that are not making it any safer, that are regulating things even more, that are basically just bending over to make because the no, happy. No, what, what that is is a brainstorm, and they're not regulations. They are guidelines. There's a difference. It, once again, guidelines. What, why the hell do I care about guidelines? So, well, I'm if you don't, you don't have to. You don't have to be yeah. there. I, I want to drill down real quick to something that is part of this conversation that I, I understand where Chad's going with this and I get it. And Chad, I respect your passion for what you're trying to say. Um, but I just want to refocus back to something. To me, it sounds like we actually need gov- like state level at each state level. We need to form these entities. And I, and, I, and I say that because of some of the conversation that happened again before what we were just talking about in, in, in the fracturing off. Um, it, it sounds like that if, you know, if each state and each local municipality is going to have their, their, over, their oversight on what the FAA regulations are, and we are already seeing this in the commercial side and the consumer side, then having a state-level um, advocate is where we're going to actually need to be, you know, individualizing the different use cases in the different cities and, and, and local locations. Can, can um, I address that real quick? Um, yes, so go ahead, Kevin. The, the FAA regulates everything that happens in the sky. Once you're airborne, that's what the FAA yep. cares about. Yep. The states and local municipalities are going to be regulate what's happening on the ground. So a park can say you can't operate a drone from within inside this park. You can still fly over that park because that air is regulated by the FAA. You just can't stand in the park and conduct that operation. But that's exactly so there, the problem. There, I, I understand. Hang on. Oh, okay. we, ha- we have to we have to first set up 
and have a working relationship with the FAA so that we can work on what happens in the air. Now, once we have that and we have nationwide working with the FAA with what happens in the air, then you can start working on individual cities, states, municipalities, so that we can work to make sure that the regulations on the ground are what we need as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we thought about that as far as I, I just think it's important to start planning early because if we know we're going to need to get there, I, I'm, I'm just a big picture guy, man. I try to I try to plan for the end of the race as well, kind of like Chad, like, no, you know, Final Glide's doing too. I totally get sure, it. Man. Uh, so anyways, um, yeah, totally. Okay. So just to recap, just to keep everybody focused, the, the initial step here is to say, uh, can we come up with a set of guidelines? And you can't look at the first brainstorm document as, oh, okay, that's it. We're moving, trying to solidify this is law. That's not the case. What we want to do is try to find a, a group of guidelines that we can say, hey, this is reasonable. And we agree on this, you know, the majority of us. So that's, that's the first step. So is let's the not goal go of that down the road. Is the goal of that to say, hey, F.A., here's this big group of people and they're all reasonable and on Scout's honor, they're doing these things. Yes. They're adhering to these things. Yes. And we're and we're a reasonable group of people. Look what this group has agreed on honor to do. Yes. That's kind of what this is. Okay. You got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I see where you're – I see it now. Which, I mean yes. – I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so, so that's where I want people to be careful. Like, we're not here to create laws and regulations. We want exactly what you said, Mary. It's, it's a group of guidelines where we all agree that this is a safe and responsible way of behaving. Yeah. So I, that's it. I, I think that, and then, the, and then the major focus also to stop the bleeding with additional regulations. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. By doing this, we are doing that because that's mm -hmm. what the, the FAA is saying. Hey, someone step up and help organize this. And right now that falls onto the shoulder of the AMA. So whether the AMA likes it, wants it, wants to drive it forward or not, that's where it's landing. And, 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 and so, so quick question. Do, does, does this group support FPV without a spot? First question. Well, I don't. I that's so. those are things we need to discuss. You can't and, come in and just but, say. But, but second of all, does it, second of all, does, does this group uh, support long range flying? I'm just using this as an example so, because if if you go to the FAA and say we're all doing this and we're being good guys, I'm telling you that 90% of the people out there are not doing it because there's a big so, group of people that are doing uh, long range, and very few people use spotters. Hey, so, Jay, uh, I think I think all of us have probably flown FPV without a spotter, and I think that we're all at least interested in long range. If not, we've already done it. But the question whether or not this organization is going to support either one of those things is a different question. Here's the thing: is that the the the, the guidelines. You can't go to the you can't go to the FAA and say we're being good boys, and because this is what all our group is doing, when um when you know it's not the case. But so the first thing, thing is, that we're going to have to do before we answer any of those questions is define what's long range, define what's a spotter. Like those need to be very clearly defined and we have to have our own glossary. So when we start making definitions, everybody's on the same page and knows what that means. We can Correct. Just use a different language that encompasses what we actually do. But the, 
the, the other thing here is that um, we can't, we, I would love to support um, beyond visual line of sight and I would love to, to um, operate without a spotter. But at the same time, we have to work within the current FAA regs before we can start working on changing FAA regs. And, and that's where the lobbying comes in is that mm -hmm. these guidelines fall within what currently the FAA says, the, these are the regulations. And there's very few of them, honestly, that the FAA requires, but, but uh, beyond visual line of sight, that's not one of them that they, they, they budge on right now. And so if we can operate safely, within these regulations, then we can start working on changing that and say, yes, we want to fly beyond visual on the site, you know, yeah, and again, to, I, I want to emphasize the regulation is that if you're doing this activity, you have to follow the guidelines of the CBO. So, so yeah. it's, it falls down the chain. So it's not, there are very few FAA regulations for this. It's just falling under the AMA. And then what happens is certain, certain ones of those <laughs> guidelines come in question and, you know, and it, and it keeps going around this cycle. So we're, we're trying to say, let's define FPV and what that means and what are reasonable, safe guidelines. And I just well, want to say, oh, sorry. I just wanted to get something in real quick, guys. Um, I totally understand everybody's view here on wanting to do more, wanting no regulation and all that. But I think what we're all trying to say here, at the end of the day, there's regulation already. And there's future regulation coming down the pipe. And so as an organization, if we can form it, we can, like you say, stop the bleeding. But that being said, everyone involved has to have this, has to be able to say to themselves, that the world is evolving, technology is evolving, and we just happen to be in this crossroads where what we're doing, as insignificant as it really is in the world, is actually super important because if we don't stand up and do this, then there is going to be future. I mean, it's just, it's inevitable. There's, the skies are the future as far as technology and, and, and how you know, logistically things will move around. And so if we ever think that we're just going to be able to have this long range, you know, beyond line of sight and all these, all these, these, these privileges, I just think that, you know, that anybody thinking that that's going to be a huge goal of ours or something that's even possible, it, it should probably tailor what they, how they view this technology, because this isn't just about us as FPV people. This is about the drone technology and how it's going to influence the entire world. So I don't know. I just I feel like there's this there's this difference in mind in mindset here where some people are trying to push the system and some people are trying to work within the system to change the future system because we recognize that it is kind of set in a path. And if we don't deviate the path now, then then there's nothing I think we can't change. I think the important point here is that um you know, the corporations are coming to the FAA and to Congress and basically saying, this is how we want to integrate um, our, our, our stuff into the, the skies. And we need to come back with our guidelines and say, this is how we can safely integrate our stuff, our FPV, into those skies and either work in, in, uh, with exclusion from, from these corporations or work within that and say, hey, we can integrate into the sky just as well, if not better than they can. And by doing that, it, it, it sorts of it, it sort of sets us up to to save three three six and keep the corporations from over you know lobbying to overregulate us because we're saying yes, we can we can incorporate ourselves into the sky. 
Yes. Also, real quick before it goes by, Zoe typed a message because she's muted. Uh, she's concerned about her echo. She said, my worry is that we're focusing on reacting or I'm sorry, recreating the AMA for FPV pilots while Section 336 is being repealed. Uh, in my humble opinion, we we need to focus on protecting 336 and CBO second. Now, let me respond to that really quickly. Um, the Well, first of all, fighting without some kind of weight behind us is going to be futile. So becoming a CBO gives us a lot more weight to speak. Um, so that's that's point one. Two, I agree with Mary, 336 is not being repealed. It is being discussed. And that's been validated through my discussion with my local FAA rep. We can continue to look into that. But what he said was, you know, it doesn't look like uh, people leasing the airspace for drones is even an option right now. Um, and that's coming from an inside perspective. So he could be wrong. He's one voice in the FAA, but you know, that's uh, from all that I can dig and find out right now, that's, that's what it's, it's looking like. You know, and that's why if we can get on the advisory committee, we would be on the inside and we would know this is reality. This is just, talk this is just paranoia you know we would well, know this is realistic this isn't and that's a a really good example because um let me let me pick an unrelated but similar example of how information flows you know people uh often develop their opinion based on responses and the tariff is a really good example because there's all this speak about a 25 percent tariff going out to all these uh, you know, resellers. Well, I have combed through all of the government documentation. I've, I have a, 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 a business advisor that has combed through everything he could find. And we cannot find a definitive statement about 25% anywhere. We can find different percentages, you know, 6.3 and 4.7, you know, on, on different items. But all of a sudden, I've seen just a flood of people talking about a 25% tariff, yet I cannot find specific products that are tariffed 25%. So uh, because a lot of it was also based on a, a file that was released by a, uh, I think it was a news entity or a journal journalist uh, entity released a document talking about 25% and then a list of things that were tariffed. But what they didn't say was everything on the list is not 25%. So this is a perfect example of how information gets out there and people get confused. And then they start arguing about something that's not even real. And, and that's what I'm seeing, seeing with this. Bruce released a video um, talking about uh, you know, what's happening, but it's just one perspective based on you know, one, one public conversation rather than actually digging in and talking to the FAA reps and finding out what is the reality of it. Hey, Chad, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Given the goals to incorporate FPV as a standard instead of just what's currently out there for line of sight scale piloting, what are we doing to actually legitimize FPV because it's the only way we're going to get rid of the you have to have a spotter, you can't do long range and all that other kind of stuff. I realized a lot of the scale piloting was done under the idea that those things are pretty darn big. 
and they can cause a lot of damage and hurt people. But until we come up with a way to legitimize FPV and so that there is a solid difference between us and industry drones, which are all GPS directed, sure, they may have pilots, but they have an overriding demand for automation. Um, without giving us a specific legitimize, hey, we are what we are, you can see how we're under control and we can see what we're doing. I think a lot of the arguments are going to have a hard time to go someplace. Well, yeah. I, so I've been saying even, you know, through Rota Riot and, and what we're doing there is the best way to legitimize FPV is to get more people <laughs> In order to get more people involved, you need the, the point from being introduced to what it is to becoming a competent pilot. That timeline needs to shorten because if it takes too much time and dedication, you're not going to have a, a big group of people wanting to join. You know, if you had to imagine if you had to tinker with things for six weeks before you could play a video game, like how popular video games would be. Like it's, I, I did, it was, it was the 80s, you know, and it, it, it obviously caught on once it got much simpler. Once Nintendo came out and said, hey, we're making this super simple and you're gonna get a, a you know, a 10 times better experience than an Atari, you know, now it, it catches on. So, um, so, so, so then we're just waiting way on to, the hardware people. I mean, well, you know, no, no, that's a piece of it. And, and sometimes that's what people want to put all the weight on innovation. Although that's definitely a piece of it, you can still find ways to move forward. I think sometimes just restructuring the introduction of, of the material. So for instance, if somebody had an understanding of a simple path, here's how I get into it. And you get a tiny whoop and then you get, you know, the Fat Shark 101. I, I don't know, you know, whatever that path might be, the concept is getting somebody from zero to a competent flyer is the shortest amount of time. However, that's addressed, whether it's through innovation, education, inspiration, whatever that is, that will help the hobby grow, which helps legitimize it. You know, it can even be as little as like instructions that everybody puts in the drones with the safety rules. Like if I go and buy a gun, the four NRA safety rules, there's always a card in the gun box in the package that has those rules. And I, I think even just trying to educate people on that level, like don't fly here, don't fly there, be respectful here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it could even be proposed something as little as that, that doesn't have a big cost and maybe go from there. I don't know. I'm just, so yeah, I, I'd like, uh, I was just going to say, I'd like to uh, let you guys know. So I'm working currently actually with a client of ours um, on a product and on a project that they are actually getting into big box stores. Um, we actually believe this is going to be the first FPV aircraft in a big box store. If everything goes through. Um, and um it's it's been interesting working with them because they've had a lot of questions and we've had a lot of meetings with their lawyers for the last few weeks. And I, the barrier to entry is what we're talking about here. And I think it's all really great conversation. I think it, we're exactly drilling down to what we have, what we're looking at. You know, our I've had these conversations for six months with our clients, which are, you know, what they're attempting to do is not really possible. 
yet they're doing it. Um, and the reason why is, is what we all said, it, it's too difficult that you have to have a desire to want to do this at this current juncture because of the hardware and because of the innovation. And we're not blaming it, but we're again saying we're in this infant, crazy, pre-infant stage. Like we're still in the tummy right now. You know what I mean? Like we're not even out in the world yet technically because we still don't have the hardware like the consumer grade aircraft that are pick it up, put it out with no with all ignorance, put it in the air and fly it. And I don't know that we'll ever be there with what we do as a, as, as FPV. Um, that being said, there is some things that I think that have already begun to be talked about. And I think what we're talking about here is a knowledge base. It's something that we're looking at really heavily and trying to advocate across the board. And we've worked with other manufacturers already and trying to communicate and trying to work with them on building a single user base, knowledge base. So, mm -hmm. you know, it wouldn't be the coalition. It would be, for instance, like I brought up Christopher earlier, you know, me and Christopher a year and a half ago had this idea to create this website of knowledge base for anyone getting into the sport or the hobby. Where do you go to get like all the information you need or at least be pointed in all the right directions, right? So he registered what is FPV.com. And I think that's a great platform to do something like this with. What is FPV.com being a knowledge base for? You go there and you get directed, like you said, to all the, the, the hardware that's dedicated towards the progression of the industry that's actually involved in creating safe practices and things and has those disclaimers and has those things on the box. So just something to think about is I, I think that we could segregate this into two different entities, kind of. Um, well, maybe we could think of 10 safety points and urge, you know, even U.S.-based companies, hey, print this off and include it in your packaging. And at least that's something. It's a very inexpensive start. Well, these, and, hey, guys, I, I want to yeah. say, yeah, these are great ideas. And, and I definitely want to revisit the stuff as we go. But we're still a little ways away from it because we need to just focus on this core goal. If I were to just whittle it down to just a very, very simple agenda, it is to uh, be the voice that is recognized by these larger entities and the FAA to say, hey, we represent, you know, the desires and needs and, you know, safety concerns of this FPV pilot. So um, let's Good. just start with that. And a lot of this other stuff will, you know, we're going to have some major hurdles down the road. Um, but as you can hear just from today's conversation, it's going to take some time. There's going to be some arguments and there's going to be some disagreements. So the more complicated it gets, the more it's going to take to get through those disagreements. So um, let's just stay focused right now on coming up with a, a, a creed, a, a mantra, or whatever you want to call it. It's not regulation, but something that says, hey, we all agree this is respectable, realistic, responsible behavior for FPV pilots. I agree. That sound That's, sounds very good. Yes. Okay. So I'm already late, so I have to get going. Um, if you, if any of you want to stay on here to, you know, continue discussing, I'll, I'll uh, catch up with it later. But uh, this was really good. And and please know, I I know this stuff gets it gets a little tricky and heated at times, but that's just part of the process, and it's going to happen. So um, absolutely. I just have one question. What in your mind is the time frame for getting this together and actually applying for membership with the with the committee? 
How long do well, you, with the, are you anticipating? So with the committee, uh, one of the things that I was trying to do was uh, put together my own bio to be able, you know, to apply um, because mm -hmm. I figured, the, you know, the better that's put together, the the better chance I have of, of getting in um, and or our group, you know, so however, however it looks, but I, I think in, in some capacity, I don't want to mess that up. So um, I would like to, like I said, I'm traveling. So when I get back next week, I want to hit that hard and make sure that uh, I, I can't make sure, but I really want to try to ensure the strongest foot forward for that. Um, so I would say as soon as possible. I mean, it's a big deal when I see somebody nominated. I mean, if it's announced in the USA Today, it's it's like a it's a major thing. And I, I know it's it's hard. And I'd say, you know, do it right is if it takes an extra week to do it right. Yeah. And, you know, I guess any um, if you have any other information or insight on that, I'm always listening. Um, I'll try to uh, find some out. I'll try to, to see, you know, what okay. will help. All right. Well, this is good. Okay. Thank thank you to all of you for okay. showing up. I know this isn't always um, the easiest, but uh, I really appreciate everybody's dedication. I, I have to say it's it's already exceeding my expectations of everybody's involvement and, and everybody taking responsibility over these different chunks. So thank you very much. Sure. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Chad. Thank you very much. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, I, I understand where Nowak is coming from, but that to oh, to undo something, you either convince them to change the legislation or you litigate and say it's not arbitrary you say it's arbitrary and capricious. The litigation end is way harder than trying to get them to change their legislation because agencies have such leeway it's it's such a low standard for them to be able to keep a rule absolutely that, and I you know and if we have 10 rules we don't like that's 10 lawsuits it's just it's it's almost unrealistic at this point but i think if we got on the inside maybe we could persuade them to tweak a rule or two Correct. Maybe. And I think that that by by forming the CBO and saying, hey, look, we're responsible, we're, we're taking responsibility to um, we're, we're, we're taking responsibility to kind of, you know, cover our own bases here and, and represent our community and saying this is how we integrate safely in the skies. It gives us a, a foundation for being able to have those conversations and, um, you know, maybe tweak those rules. Whereas instead, you know, coming from the outside and saying we don't like your rules, and you know somebody has to get arrested or, or um, you know, form a lawsuit or or whatnot, that's an expensive process for any one person to go through, and mm -hmm. you know, especially the FPV community where people are struggling just to get gear and and stay in the skies. You know, it's it's a daunting task. And the other thing is, if we want to influence the FAA. And for them to take us seriously and for them to to accept and agree with what we're saying, if our if our goal is always we're their adversary, we hate you, we're gonna do it's just not gonna get us anywhere. 
No, we have to work You know what I mean? You can't. Yeah. Uh, one, of, one of the things I've said constantly through this is that we should base everything that we're doing right now off of what's already out there, whether it be FAA or AMA guidelines, things that everyone is already essentially practicing. We understand there's outliers, people doing stupid things, um, people trying to break into long range. Fine, we can deal with that later. We just have to change the wording enough for us so that we can legitimize the FB side of it. Because right now, nobody really knows what that is. And every government um, meeting, as far as UAS is concerned, there have been more lies about what drones are doing here locally than I could count. It's like most of it you could prove false with a simple Google search. But these are the industry people that the FAA are getting advice from. As you said, Mary, we need to get someone on the inside so we can throw out the bullshit flag. But, you know, other than making a tighter regulation for ourselves for like maybe don't fly directly over kids in playgrounds, which seems like common sense for most people, but clearly there have been people that do it. Mm -hmm. um, we shouldn't try to, as you stated, we shouldn't try to make it tighter than what's already out there. We can fight local levels easier than we can at federal level. And if we have a base that we start off at with already established rules, then all they're going to do is go, oh, well, this is what we've already got. Okay, no problem. I, th I think one of the things, guys, is that, you know, a lot of what we want to happen is that FAA basically um, – basically says to, to the entire country, look, these are the FPV rules. Nobody can make any rule beyond this. And um, that's, unfortunately, that's not going to happen because states and, and localities have their own um, issues that they have to deal with. And like, like Stingy said, you know, FAA governs the sky and the states and the local um, folks are going to, you know, take care of the ground. So as an example, you know, I live in Phoenix. There's a nuclear power plant you know, right outside of town and, you know, Arizona is going to say, well, you can't fly close to the nuclear power plant. You know, it's going to be what it is. And, you know, whether they set up that no fly zone, you know, 20 miles from that, that's going to be up to them, you know, but the thing is, is that the FAA um, has a say in a lot of the rules that the states and local, mis um, local folks are, are coming up with. And um, a lot of those decisions need to be so here, here's an example. The, the localities, the local places tend to not understand the relationship between federal and state laws very well. And, and so the legal, I don't want to say fuck ups, but the legal mistakes are going to be more at the local level and they'll be easier to overturn. And for example, um, just a, a month ago or so, some city, I believe it was somewhere in the Northeast, said, no drones in our city below 400 feet thinking that that would then say well if you can't fly above 400 feet that would eliminate everything and it was overturned because they said that infringed on the faa rule that you are allowed to fly under 400 feet and that would it would prevent any any like licensed drone even professional drones from flying when they have the federal right to fly so i can see a lot of these local 
local areas, homeowners associations saying no flying here, you know, under a certain thing, but they can't, it, it's really not legal. And that would be way easier to fight than Absolutely. going and saying this FAA rule should be overturned because it's arbitrary and capricious. That's, that's like, talk about uphill battles. It's, it's that's that. what you should just stick with class. Every time we say airspace, we should just stick with class G because that's what we're talking about. It's the general aviation area. And yes, it does vary greatly depending on the areas you're in, but it also does, it also incorporates distances set forth already by the FAA for airports. Mm -hmm. Right. At the same time, the FAA in their guidelines and in their regulations doesn't restrict us to just that airspace. So again, we would be imposing, you know, further guidelines saying, yes, you should stay in here. But then later on down the road, let's say we want to fight for beyond visual line of sight. Um, you know, some of that stuff. Within the same airspace. I mean, you're talking about space that goes anywhere between ground level to almost 2000 just depending on where you are, Class G airspace has shifted when you're in like Colorado because you've got the Rocky Mountains and it bubbles up over all of that stuff. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, I don't want to close down anything that we are already utilizing safely right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, against, I'm against that, you know. I don't, but... I, I think it's it's really we have to be very specific on the wording that we use. And, and I agree with Mary; it's a hell of a lot easier to take care of local issues than yeah, because most of them can just be dismissed because they're not they're not uh, falling within federal guidelines. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean the burden of proof is lower. They tend to be more wrong than right at the local level. But again, you're talking about litigation. I mean. I, I, this is what I see. People are advocating that we should all take tests. People are advocating that we all need some kind of monitoring devices. And, and I think we should really fight hard against yeah. those two things. Absolutely not. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, one, from one aspect. And we need to show them how big our industry is, the financials, how this would ruin, you know, Pyrodrone, get FPV. I mean, we have all these people in the business and they're going to fail with unreasonable. Well, here's you know. the here's here's the thing with like the remote ID thing. So, let's say the FAA comes out and says, "Hey, you know, um, I'm going to use an example. So, here in Arizona, and I'm going to use a gun example, um, like we've been using. But here in Arizona, it is completely legal to uh, conceal carry without a permit. Okay, mm -hmm. however." If you go and you get your concealed permit, um, concealed weapons permit, it grants you additional rights. Okay. You can carry in certain places. You can, you know, yada, yada, yada. However, you know, let's, let's switch that over to FPV. Um, let's say the FAA says, you know, under current regulations without a remote ID, here's what you can do. But if you incorporate a remote ID system, you can do all these extra things because we can track what you're doing and make sure you're staying safe. You know, we, now we let, let's flip that over. That. Hang on, we let's flip that over. It, but let's let's look at the current availability of remote IDs. One of the big companies, Uvionics, is the one that's they're they're on the the drone, um, the commercial drone alliance, and um, they're the ones 
you know, pushing for this remote ID. Well, their systems run $200 for one of these remote ID systems for anything that we would remotely want to put on one of our crafts. Now, let's say if that cost was $15, would you be so opposed to it if it granted you additional rights? I don't know. What about all the little things they sell in uh, Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, all these little toy things that mm. most people have? What are they going to do about that? Well, that, that, was, that was kind of my point of it, is that everything is classified as a toy. Now, in government meetings, they have thrown out weight numbers, the 250-gram mark, which those of us who are in the hobby know that that is the most ridiculous, arbitrary, made-up number that they could have ever come out with. But the the issue is, isn't even whether or not we put a remote tag on it, because there's a dozen other ways we could do that. Uh, something as simple as having an update to our receivers or to our FPV transmitters. Their, their whole point, I mean, TBS has one that's basically uh, being developed for the, um, I forget what it's called now, but it's 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 that it's that alarm system that basically causes alarm. you to turn out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. The original um, Crossfire already has that. Yeah. So it's it's not like the it's not like that information that technology isn't there. We're not talking about having to oh, put some new brick of a module onto our drone. And yes, their issue is for identification. Um, but as far as all the rest of that's concerned, we've already got those between uh, frequency requirements and then requiring that you have a ham license or at least the operator's license. And that's simply just so that somebody can say, well, you've taken the test. You understand frequencies, limitations, and broadcast power. That's really all that's doing. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got the part 107. As, as, a, as just a hobby flyer who goes out to the park, I don't have to go on either one unless I'm broadcasting on certain FPV channels. Um, but yet, if I wanted to go out, like I've got another friend who does um, aerial photography for, uh, for real estate. He had to get his part 107 for multiples of reasons, but the part 107 completely unlocks like 90% more airspace that you can utilize that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. But so it also closes Well, yeah, but that's going to be true with no matter what. Even if we get a licensing program to put an identification, whatever, on your quad, that's still going to be, they're going to say, okay, well, now that you're identified, now you can only fly in these specific areas. There's no way we're going to say, here's a licensing, here's a tracking, and then they're not going to, and then they're going to go, ah, go do whatever the hell you want. It's just not going to happen. I mean, there's I never been a licensing that has, open things up it closes it down always I, I i kind of have to wonder if realistically they're going to make our size quads go through something like that i just well, they're talking about it every inch every single meeting that has gone through the industries that have been involved and mind you hobby has always been excluded that's one of the biggest reasons i know zoe has talked about it uh which <laughs> when we did this first big one that brought a lot of this around but it's just a group of companies at this point suggesting I don't. And from what the FAA rep has told me, they're not necessarily list, really taking that seriously. It's just being suggested. Right. And, and the reason they're yeah. suggesting it is because they've determined that under a specific weight class, it becomes less of a threat to the vehicles and the instrumentation that 
they wished to use within the airspace. And I totally get that too. The idea is to increase the awareness of reality. You know, I'm sorry, but have me flying a 250 gram quad versus me flying a 600 gram quad is not going to change, you know, Amazon's fabled dream of drone delivery to everyone's front porch steps. If I can't get FedEx to deliver to an apartment complex, Amazon's not going to either without somebody there to verify that they can pick it up. The, the level of theft is so high, but that's what they're trying to push for to say that we want to be able to do things like that. And I hear you. That is what I want to fight. I mean, that's that's what I initially thought the goal of this whole thing was to fight against, you know, what these corporations are wanting to impose on us. And that's what I, when I say stop the bleeding, that's kind of what, you know, instead of going backwards and fighting line of sight stuff to, to, to first and foremost fight against what they're suggesting. The I mean, is that, is that our goal is ultimately that's our first and foremost thing? Yes, I would, I would say yeah. that, yes, our, our goal is to, to move forward to um, say that we can integrate in the sky just as well, if not better than these corporations, you know, and I think by providing the safety guidelines, you know, whether in the form they're in now or in some changed form, is is evidence of that saying you know we're going to be a cbo we're going to govern not exactly govern but align our pilots with with these with these guidelines saying that we can integrate safely to preserve us a space in the sky you know and i think that that would be the first goal and then from there we can look a little bit backwards and say hey do we really need this do we really need that you know to to open up some possible more freedoms, but we can't do that without establishing um, a baseline of saying, hey, we want access to the skies. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to integrate effectively. Then you need to change your wording because it shouldn't be we want access. It says we already have access. We already okay. have been operating safely. Here's how we Tomorrow, have then you been go back. doing. Okay. There's just a lot of talk about what could ha what could be, what should be, and not enough of what we have been doing. So my question is, are, are we planning to object to, just object to these sorts of proposed impositions, or are we going to offer some some sort of alternative or are we just going to say no honestly i think at this point it's about um setting us up to be that voice like chad was saying and from that voice perspective we can we can do different things now as far as what the the initial goal is i think that as a group we honestly you know that's something that probably needs to be hashed out but mm -hmm. at the same time um you know i think the steps we've taken thus far especially within what two and a half weeks three weeks you know i think it's a good start um but as far as you know what our message is going to be whether it's object or whether it's say you know let's we're gonna i mean my first thought would be saying you know with these guidelines 
this instead of doing this, this is what we want. You know, this is how we're going to integrate. And Okay. Does that I'm make wondering, sense? Yeah. And I'm wondering if once we get all of this together and we're, we're good to go, you know, that lobbyist group just asked for, um, the, you know, the meeting that XJet had on his, that was just the meeting that they requested. I'm wondering if we should ask for a similar meeting and meet and have all the hobbyists meet since the commercial groups met hobbyists. We want to meet with you now. We want a general meeting and Absolutely. see if we can get one, you know, where they're not invited. It's us and, and invite the AMA because we should, but at least have our own meeting with them. I think that's a, that's, that's something that, that would be beneficial. But I think we need to have our ducks in a row series Absolutely. before we even even start down that. Absolutely. That's what I meant once we're all together. Okay, well, yes. I, I think we're going in the right direction with everything. And everyone's on the same page. And, and as far as your question went, Mary, about are we going to fight for things? I, as with most things, that should probably be on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, I can't say let's fight for everything, but at the same time, there may or may not be reasonable alternatives for things. I am totally for if you say, hey, this isn't going to work, we should, and then give a better option that will work. Mm -hmm. um, but given what we're dealing with, that's, that's, there's not 100% chances that that's going to be available. You know what I mean? I agree with that. I just mentioned it because that's, because Chad Nowak seems like that's all he wants is a, opposition well, type group he, and, he and i have talked a lot about it um up until he just completely left and and i'm not in disagreement with him he is i think he is his biggest problem is that he's dealing from multi-country flying capabilities mm -hmm. and you know and he's done a lot of the same fighting and work back home in australia um the biggest issue that we see going forward with a lot of this is the constant argument and i've gotten into several arguments with, through the chat feeds about this is that i understand we want to set forth rules regulations and guidelines that people can say okay these are reasonable we can follow but every time someone keeps talking keep adding in more and more that just keep throwing it down it gotten to a point where they had they were telling me all these things and it's like well you just limited us to ama fields well, not every, every not every area even has AMA fields. There's one AMA licensed yeah. field in South Carolina where they have the big event, uh, the Joe Nall, every year. The rest of the state doesn't give a rat's ass um, as long as you're operating safely and not violating mm -hmm. FAA airspace. Uh, we have people that fly down at the beach. They just don't care. Um, so, and then by, by putting forth things that limit, that now limit me down or saying well we can't fly at parts if there are populated people around well again that's pretty unreasonable because there are plenty of safe ways to operate and we can't eliminate risk risk mitigation is about making the smallest risk possible given current situation skill levels and everything else but you know i can't stop it if some random crap happens on my quad and i have a flyaway and it flies 300 yards in another direction and hits somebody. Yeah. Sure, there's a liability thing, but that's a completely different thing. We can't go around putting out rules that stop people from being able to fly at maybe the only areas they can fly in their area just because, well, what if happened? Well, the, the, 
the one thing is that saying that statistics alone make an open and shut case really isn't true because a yes, lot of right. what goes so into rulemaking is anticipating future problems that haven't ha happened yet but could and statistics are in the past and well, yes, you know statistics it, it help at some point but it's not it's not the end all it's not we yes. show them statistics and this this is arbitrary it's just not it's not that open and shut and they have every right to anticipate a reasonable misuse of a drone and take action and you know they, they do that all over the place i mean something yes. bad doesn't have to happen for a rule to be against it so it well, just it just makes things harder it's 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 not so easy to overturn things right so but again that's why I'm, that's why we try to advocate for not try to limit us down if our rules are based around what's already there then we haven't changed anything we just said this is where we want to start from and that way anything that does come around it does give us that ability to fight argue put a case forward whatever it may be I, who knows maybe they do come up with something that's like you know what we can't argue with that so be it right i agree um, but but to let them go around and say drones are dangerous because you could do this like um they you know they they were talking about signal interruption and that one uh, it's the same one that um that Zoe had told everyone about and XJet eventually Bruce did a brief thing about it you know they were talking about silly things like well you could, we could use one of our drones to bring in radar jamming technology well that might be kind of true in the sense that yeah it might happen but radar jamming is designed to um literally overpower all other signals in the area and flood it which means we would have no way of controlling anything that went in and that's not even counting the weight differences for it or they also used another one saying that they were having signal interference with communication radios because of an automatic door at a grocery store which runs off of infrared signals that only has like mm -hmm. a five foot range <laughs> so i mean it's well i mean but they took ridiculous examples in those videos but but there are what should i say on on i guess one other thing i just want to make a point of there probably are a lot of things that are not public knowledge that the faa has knowledge of so there could be uh, i'm sure they've heard of some attempt to use a drone and do this some attempt to and they might know hey people are thinking of these things Let's put the kibosh on it now that, you know, hasn't made the news and we don't know about it. Oh, I completely understand that. And you they know? even pointed out in that meeting that they were mostly referring to the large-scale GPS guidance kind of stuff that, that other governments are using. Why? Because you don't have to rely on a radio signal. You can upload that thing via satellite, give it one direction, and it goes. And I, I get them trying to regulate those larger style things. The yeah. problem is, is they classify everything above 250 grams as that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess one solution I kind of think could work would be, for your example, you have a flyaway and your quad goes away and hits somebody. That, that at the local level, if you lose control of your drone and you cause someone to be injured there could there could be very stiff penalties for that which would then 
make somebody think twice about taking a chance. And, and those types of things could be handled more at the local level, state level with penalties, fines, you know, and, and potential lawsuit against you, yeah. all those types of things. I don't know that the FAA necessarily has to worry about, you know, every scenario with their rulemaking. The other thing you guys might want to might want to think about is that, you know, President Trump um, has issued an executive. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but for every regulation that they put on the books, they're required to remove two others. Um, and I don't know how that's going to relate to any of this, but it's something to think about that, you know, and, and it could be that they could impose a UAV regulation, but take something off of full scale flight. But, you know, it, it it's just something to definitely think about because it limits their ability to make regulations to a certain degree. That's true. Well, maybe we should, you know, we all think, okay, a, a 260 gram quad is no threat to safety. Maybe we should come up with reasons why, you know, they should re really be looking at the bigger ones and not our little ones instead of just, you know, I know we all have that opinion that what's the difference and we're not, the control you know, if I hurt somebody, they should be able to sue me for negligence and, you know, maybe I'll get fined. Maybe it'll be, it'll be a misdemeanor. Maybe it'll be a low level. I don't know. I know things like that can be handled at the, at the local levels. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you hurt someone with your drone, you're going to be in trouble and that's going to make most people minimize the risk. Right. And I think those are, for the most part, already there. Causing Having an accident of any kind is going to cause liability issues, whether it be covered through insurance or whatnot. I don't well, know I think common law punishing people for yeah. accidents. But again, like you said, though, it's a matter of we should make sure that that stuff stays at the local level and right. not be federally applied. Right. And you know what? S some types of accidents have larger consequences than others. And right now, if I if I hurt somebody with my quad, they could sue me under common law negligence. Maybe maybe local governments will say, "Hey, this is this is a this this risk is so bad that we're going to make it a first degree misdemeanor." I mean, they can tack on any kind of of criminal element. They could tack on, you know, civil liability all they want. I not all they want, but. I think the FAA three. just needs to concentrate. We should tell them, hey, let the local local levels ha handle that stuff and don't impose these onerous things that these commercial entities want. Yes. Well, I mean, we know why the commercial entities are doing it. They want mm -hmm. to be able to control as much of the airspace as they possibly can for future endeavors. And I don't really begrudge an industry for trying to do that. I mean, sure. honestly. I don't either. It's the way business runs, but again, that's why that's why I've I've had multiple conversational arguments through text <laughs> uh, with with people that we shouldn't increase the number of rules, regulations, laws that we're trying to do, and just base it around what's already out there, what we're already dealing with, what's already been legitimized. We just want to change some of the wording so that we can incorporate the beyond visual line of sight and F. Because most of us just go out to a local field or a local park or whatever after work, and we just cruise a couple battery packs around and just you know keep up on stick time. 
And mm -hmm. given that we can always see where we are, relatively speaking, I think most people, when they lose video, pretty much still just cut it and let everything fall out. But we still get a general good vicinity of where we are. It eliminates that need, especially with DVR, even though I usually forget to set it, um, where, you know, we, we know where we are. We know where we've fallen it, and we have equipment that helps us pinpoint it. Um, you know, I mean, I understand if you're flying line of sight, having a spotter because you can't see what everyone else is doing. But I know Chad Nowak pointed out that, you know, with a quad, I can turn, I can spin my quad in any one direction faster than somebody can turn their head. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you may not I be mean, able to identify, oh, that's a guy walking with his kid, but you'd see that there's people there. With the... I, I can just tell you, I have... I have, I've always flown FPV by myself. I've never had a spotter. I have a DJI Spark and I send it as far as it can go. I don't send it over people. I send it over farms and stuff, but mm -hmm. I break those rules. I can tell you that. However, there have been do. times when I'm flying. I, like I was at, I was at a field and the, this is uh, the soccer fields. There's probably 15 fields connected. Mm -hmm. I was at the far end and these kids were probably six fields down and I'm flying and flying and out of nowhere, I look down from my quad and all these little peewee football kids are running right under me. Like they, I did not see that they were done on the field way down there and they were coming all the way up. And maybe if I had somebody there, they would say, Hey, these kids are, I mean, I have seen, I didn't hit them and I left. I saw them, I landed, but it was like, it shocked me when I saw them out of my goggles. All of a sudden, people, when they had been, you know, five acres down the road just mm -hmm. a few minutes ago. So, I mean, I can see it. I, I could see it's better to have one than not. I, I, I don't, I've never done it because I don't know anybody well, else who flies. I'm completely with you, but you've also, you also just gave a perfect example of how you've mitigated the risk. I've done the same thing where I've been at a park flying. And then because I'm in a far off field, I can't hear all the cars that drive up. And when there's a, low, there's a kid's playground at the park that I normally fly at. And as soon as I start seeing people coming up, I fly as far away from them as I can. I land until I can get a better situation because I don't know what those kids are going to do. And all the guys that I fly with at the park do it too. But there's plenty of times we're all up flying. Um, you know, mm -hmm. but, and as soon as we see something, we go, oh, we've got incoming. And then everybody flies. It's our way of doing that self-regulation that the majority of us already do in order to minimize the possibility of something bad happening. And what we do is figure out some way of wording that so that we are covered and that people understand that you need to take that extra second just because you have to land a pack a minute early and wait minutes to find out what's going on or maybe go talk with some people you know versus saying oh there's people here you can't fly anymore there's there's always going to be a, a point at which you know i think and, and i, I kind of covered that in the in the safety guidelines that i didn't say a spotter was always necessary i said you know let me see i'm trying to remember how i worded it um let's sure, it's recommended I mean, so, saying something as simple as, as, as recommended or highly encouraged is fine. 
So what I said was um, all FPV requires a spotter to be present for the duration of any flight where there is a reasonable expectation of any interference from unknown people or obstacles. You know, so I, that does give a little bit of leeway to, let's say you're, you know, in my example, I live next to a farm and I do a lot of my testing of, a, of equipment out there. There's no reasonable expectation that anybody's going to interfere there. You know, I live in a in a pseudo rural suburb of, of Phoenix and, you know, there's not traffic down there. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel that I should need a spotter. If you're flying at a park, there's always going to be something that somebody without goggles on is going to see that you don't. So as an example, I was flying at a park and didn't have a spotter, you know, at my or after the sandstorm. <laughs> take your pick but uh um so you know i was flying at a park and uh you know i i was uh diving through a, a grove of trees and um you know two minutes earlier i dove that tree nobody there i come back around and there's a guy chilling uh, you know leaning against the trunk of the tree down below and i came you know within probably 20 feet of hitting him but because I was up above, I didn't see him through the through the uh, canopy of the tree. And, you know, but if somebody had been on the ground spotting for me, they'd say, hey, there's a guy underneath that tree over there, that grove of trees. So Maybe be careful. If they could see yeah. But the point is, though, is that at that point you see that person and you don't go back until you can verify that that person's gone. Which is, Absolutely. Which, is, which would be considered reasonable mitigation of risk. Yeah. I wouldn't say, oh, because somebody has joined you in that park that, oh, now you need a spotter. With the parks, at the field I fly at, it's a large open field, and I can hear the people around me when they come by. I don't fly with a spotter, but I hear them, and then if I, I look at the direction with my quadcopter with the goggles, and that's how I know where they are, I just listen, and I usually can find out where the people are from that. And Absolutely. I agree. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you, you like in this example that I gave, you know, it was one guy by himself, not talking, you know, and, and honestly, the park I was flying at is the size of a freaking city block. So, you know, and when you're, when you've got a, a, a good distance between you and anybody else, you know, you may not necessarily hear, hear that now. You know, I get not flying with a spotter. I fly without a spotter all the time. But there are instances where, you know, they are useful. And um, I'd like to have one with me, you know. And it's just a personal thing for me. You know, mm -hmm. I don't often fly in a group of people. If, if anything, it's like me and one of my buddies. But that's it. Like, there's a huge FPV scene here. But um, I'm not a racer. And most of it's spawned around racers. So I don't participate in a whole lot of that. But... You know, it's usually me and one other buddy or me and two buddies, you know, um, or just me by myself. And in some circumstances where we've chosen to fly, it's a very good idea to have one. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't think we're arguing that at all. Yeah. Um, the, and I mean, because we, we've all been in some sort of similar situation where, I mean, there's plenty of times I travel all over the East Coast for work. I mean, I'm usually in a different city every couple of days. And so there's a lot of places I go that is completely unknown territory for me. So if I see a handful of people walking around at a park, most of the time I go, you know what, this just isn't worth it. And I'll go find another spot or just continue on my way. Um, but that's, I don't know if that really 
adds up to amount of somebody's experience versus confidence in their equipment. Because as we said, as other people have stated, you know, we're trying to get more newer people into the community and get them spun up as fast as possible. So we can't we can't always limit towards the lowest common denominator, but we also have to find some way to mitigate those new people who don't really I don't know. Like I thought Mary's idea was really good about getting some sort of a flyer that we have included in all FTP purchases or whatever. Um, they kind of give people, you know, maybe if it's even just something that has a link to a website that people can go to to get information. Absolutely. I, I, I don't mean, think that idea in any regard. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, I, I think it should be like our cards, our group cards, because then a manufacturer could say, well, I gave these warnings and maybe somebody didn't do them right and they're going to get sued. Like, I don't want to I don't want to start imposing warnings and stuff. And then having a liability under warranty law, I think it should be these are suggestions from this group. Um, it'd be like just it'd be just the like the NRA has the four gun safety laws. Right, and I think that as a as a nonprofit, you know, you can pro we could provide those cards free of charge, you know, to you know, any of our, you know, let's say as an example, any of the businesses that are you know, supporters or, or contributors or, or whatever the case may be. And I don't know how that partnership would work out, but you know, with those, with those companies, we can say, here's your, here's your pack of cards. Here's, you know, you know, 5,000, you know, informational cards to include with all your equipment, you know, and mm -hmm. we can provide those at, at no charge to any of the company. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to think about it more. Maybe when he gets a legal team together, you know, ask, just get an okay because i mean people do sue under i mean shit i buy i buy a candle and like at the bottom of the candle says do not light near other objects you know all that kind of the little warnings and stuff like that i mean anything you anything you buy has that yeah absolutely so i gotta run you guys i gotta get back to work <laughs> all right <laughs> but, um, i think this was really good I think Absolutely. recording is really good, and it's. I have a lot of faith in it. I think I think it's it's going to do a lot of good, and you know what? To get on that committee, that's going to be a big feat, and it's a big deal. Absolutely. But Agreed. I don't know who else could do it, but Chad, and I, I think he's taking it the right way, and you know we're doing all we can do. It's it's all about maintaining the right focus. I think it's so easy for us to branch out into so many what ifs, what else we want to include. We just really maintain the right now we want to maintain what we've got and legitimize what we do. We can, I have no problem branching out from there, but I think if we lose that focus and try and do too much else beyond that, we're never going to get going where we need to go. I agree. I agree. With the focus being, we don't want we don't want what's proposed by those by the commercial lobby. Yeah. The commercial stuff. I saw an article about how there the FAA said some states could do this testing where they didn't have to go like you could have completely autonomous small UAS flights. I put an article in the news section about it sort of where it showed a demonstration of a 
basically autonomous beyond visual line of sight flight by the commercial companies in Virginia somewhere. And I put an article, link that in the news section where they could get, where they did testing on that. And you know what? I think Chad is upset with the line of sight because he flew over that island and got in trouble for that. But you know what? Sometimes it might not be the flying that bought that, that made the law. It might be that, hey, we don't want somebody to crash and we have a lithium battery here. We're trying to preserve the environment. We're trying to preserve our wildlife. No, we don't want any mechanical stuff. We don't want any oil. You know, I mean, there could be all kinds of reasons other than, hey, the, it, it may not have anything to do with safety of flying. It could just be, hey, we don't want some junk sitting out here. We don't want, you know, the possibility of a battery. To, it, I mean, people have reasons for preserving isolated islands. And, and there, it's out here, too, that we have some islands like they won't let any cars on because they don't want, they don't want the pollution from it. They don't want junk out there. You know, it has nothing to do with the safety of the vehicle or driving. It's, there are other reasons why things are restricted and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's stupid or it's wrong or we have to hate it. And then other times, again, I guess it's a case by case basis. But I doubt that. I won't. I won't get into it. I, I gotta get back to work. All right. <laughs> before I get in trouble here. Hey, nice talking to all of you. I think this was really good. You too. All right. Bye. See you guys. You too. Bye. Bye. Yeah. I don't know. I still think the direction is good, and I'm hopeful for what we're all doing. I only see. I see good things, as long as we don't get too crazy mm. absolutely it's it's just about maintaining what we've already got right and eventually fighting for a little bit more that's i had i had asked somebody if because i don't have the equipment so i can't personally do it but i think one of the things that will help with with a lot of our fights at least on local levels is um is knowing what the actual ranges are for oh, the drone. what the visual line of sight is for all the equipment, whether mm -hmm. it be the DJI Mavics or Sparks or just for our regular. I mean, I could probably test it for my own, for my quads, but some of that empirical data is still stuff that we need to find out before we can make the argument of, well, this is how far line of sight is for us, say, versus like a scale piece of equipment. Because I know someone flying a scale aircraft is going to have, you know, that's three times the size of my quad is going to have a larger visual line of sight range than I will with, you know, a 540 gram uh, quad. I think the, the general acceptance for visual line of sight is 500 meters. So, you know, basically 1,500 feet. Um I, I think that's what the I have never seen any of that in writing, but I'm not doubting. You. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to check my check my fact, but I'm pretty sure that's what the 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 accepted range is right now. Um, visual on a site.
for visual line of sight is that would that be considered like you can see it or controllable visual line of sight that's something that we might no, need it's, it's always well, based I mean, on the, you the, as a pilot and how far you fly to see it and still understand what your orientation yeah and i i think that that's, i mean control line of sight is is completely very depending on your equipment i mean somebody with a a Kuiperina and a, a crossfire rig. I mean, control line of sight goes out to, you know, 40 or 50 kilometers. I mean, by control line of sight, I mean, like, you can still control it knowing which direction you're going and on control, you can still see it. Right, right. Like, you know what you're doing at control, but you don't at, un, at like, just normal line of sight, like, as far as you can go that way. That's what I mean by that. I think that would be difficult to quantify, honestly. Yeah. It's, I mean, like it's said, also it's based so on people's dependent. visual acuity. Yeah. That's why. That's just something that needs to be looked at, I think. I was merely looking at it from the point of view of as data to help us fight against airlines and doing their, what I believe is false reporting in most cases of quads now i'll be there are several out there that are legitimate and i'm not disputing those but when everything they fly into you know when there's that claim at thirty thousand feet that they had air travel because um, <laughs> a, a drone hit their engine and it's like um yeah not so much <laughs> uh you know if you can fly uh, that if they're talking about things happening and they're claiming it's a drone and it's higher that a uh than what a commercial Cessna can fly at, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's a it's a little tooth and mouth at that point, and you're just like, come on, guys. Um, but it, it helps with us too because it says that, well, if somebody's flying on the ground, um, there's no possible chance that they could have gotten that high. I mean, we joke about it all the time. Well, Obviously, again, depending on equipment. Thank you, Crossfire, for screwing us all over on that one. Um, but I mean, you get the point. It's mm -hmm. it's just data that we. With the statistics I was working on, I do want to calculate like the reported incidents, like including those fake ones, just to see what the statistics are still like, including those. But I also want to do it with actual ones. But it's hard to it's hard to prove which is which without knowing. The complete facts about each. Well, like that, the, I mean, it's a plastic bag. That that's part of the problem is that there's there there isn't enough information. One pilot mm -hmm. says they saw this. They claimed it was doing this. It it it, it almost it, it's as, as conspiratorial as it sounds. Same statistics as somebody saw a UFO in the middle of the night because they saw a light flashing <laughs> in the sky. Um, Nothing can really be verified. None of the uh, the majority of these ones at near airports are saying that they saw a giant white object in the sky. Mm -hmm. Well, at the distances that they're claiming these things, because you can't even get in visual range of an airport for mm -hmm. oh God, what's the distance? I forget. It's something like I think it's like three hundred nautical miles or something. Uh, and even at that point, they're hitting buttons within the uh, within the aircraft in order to flash lights so that they can pinpoint where it is because it all just looks mm -hmm. like.
so it's there's a lot of hearsay as, as far as what people are saying and what they're not I mean I've even heard that the uh, that they're they're telling pilots to just report anything they see as a dream. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that's true either but I mean that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff as an organization to try and maintain rights that we have we're fighting against this false Mm -hmm. and having that information readily available through this group is just going to help and I don't expect anyone to have it all overnight this is gonna it's gonna take forever to do it so. like I said I think we're going in the right direction just have to focus first point of order and what we have. We just have to be careful with the words that we need to make sure that we're saying we have proven we're safe, are doing this, how we are integrating already, how we are operating because otherwise it sounds like we're starting from scratch. We're not. We have upwards of five, six years of, of history that's showing good behavior. You're never going to stop all bad actors there. All right, guys. I'll catch up with you guys on the chat. <laughs> yep. I got to get going, too. It was nice talking with all of you guys, and uh, you guys have a good day. You too. Yeah.